Exodus 15. If you would, there's just going to be one other space that I have you turn your Bible, but it's really important. And so if you could turn your Bible and just put a tassel, if you have one, a bookmark, a pen, whatever you got, put it at Luke 23. Very important, though. And so I'm going to move quickly to it. It's going to be at the very end of the message, so you can get comfortable, but, but I need you there, okay? Go ahead and put a tassel in, in Luke 23. Have your Bibles open for this morning at Exodus 15. And so there's only one slide here. And that if you're a note taker, where we're going to be is simply this. How does man go from screaming to singing? Like how is a feat even possible? So how does man go from conflict um, frustration, anger, bitterness, hurt, you've hurt me. There is pain, there is resentment in marriage and parenting, the church and friendship and your life. How does man go from screaming at one another to singing with one another? How is a thing even possible? Look at Exodus 15. If you've got a highlighter, I'm going to highlight this one point here. It's really where the whole message stems from. So look at just the first verse. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, highlight, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. How does man go from screaming at one another to singing with one another? How is such a feat possible? Now, to really understand the power of chapter 15, we're really going to have to rehash and even look at some of the scripture in chapter 14. But if you weren't here last week or you slept since, remember in chapter 14 where we are, these former slaves are now free. They were born into slavery. That's all they know. Their children know slavery. They know slavery. Their great-grandparents know slavery. They've been enslaved for hundreds of years, but now they're free. They make their own decisions, and in faith, they're not on the two-week route to the promised land. They're on the 40-year route. And so all of a sudden, what we said last week, the enemy hates faith. And not only does the enemy hate faith to the world, and rightfully so, faith looks vulnerable. So where do the people of God find themselves, church? They're walking and they hit a dead end. And what do they see? They see endless water. There's nowhere to go, so let's turn around, Moses. And then what do they see? They see all the chariots. So they are in a place in the middle of nowhere to go and death coming behind them. So all of a sudden, the mood changes. Money's tight. We're not getting along. I don't enjoy you, and you don't enjoy me. I'm right, you're wrong, you're right, I'm wrong. And what happens in the family, in the church, in your workforce, in your friend group? What happens? The mood changes. Let's just see how this plays out, look at chapter 14, 
verses 10 through 12. This is what we read last week. This is the mood, right? In chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, so they're staring at water and they hear the chariots. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So what happened? The mood changed. They were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? So remember what we said last week. He said, hey, listen, um, we could have just died there, right? Why did you take us all the way out here to die when you could have just left us for dead there? Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? You know what that means? Leave us in slavery. You know how crazy that is? Leave us in slavery for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die out here in the wilderness. The mood's changing. But it's not just for the masses. It's not just for the pews. It's not just for the the wrong. It's also for the right. It's also for the leadership. Look at verses 15. What happens with Moses? And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Did you catch that last week? Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. So Moses says, this is not working. I have been faithful. I am trying my best. I am pointing people to salvation. I'm trying to lead well, but the people are not having it, right? The people are flipping out chaos. Chaos. The 40-year route is not working. The people have stopped walking. They are scared to death, and now they've turned on me. Like, I'm the guy who came to help you, and now you've turned on me. What do they say? I wish I had nothing again. I wish I was back in poverty. I wish me and my kids were still slaves. What do they say? You're a bad leader. You're a bad leader. Who? The guy who left his home to help you? Yeah, you. You're bad at this. I wish you would have left me to die. And then Moses, being the leader, he says all the right things. I want you to catch this. He says all the right things, but then he has a little alone time with God, and he's crying. Man, I can't do this. This is stressful. They don't like me. They're not listening. They're saying this and saying this and saying this and saying this and saying this. In Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. How do you take a marriage at each other's throat? A family disconnected. A friend group with hate in their heart. How do you take a a split church and go from screaming to singing? Have any of you ever been able to accomplish this successfully? Have you ever woken up with your 
child, your wife or husband, and you saw the mood change and you said, well, I know how this day is going to end, right? There's no way around it. I've stuck my foot in my mouth or she's done something to bring me some frustration or he's acting like a hooligan or they're acting ignorant like there's no going back. I don't know how to help this. I have no idea. I could not fathom a scenario where we're singing at the end of the day. You ever been there? Well, how is it possible? I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. If you were here last week, we said that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what God's son accomplished on the cross, it does many things. It saves, not of anything you have done, not who you are, not what you think, not your last name, not the zeros you put on that check, that the gospel saves, but it also strengthens. So what we heard was in the message in 14, all the people start losing their mind because they're not ready for freedom, right? Like I wanted to be free, but this is overwhelming. And so what does Moses do? He didn't go, hey guys, eyes on me, you can do it. No, what does he do? He goes, God has already done it. Like focus on salvation because not only does it save you and rescue you and redeem you and restore you, but it strengthens you. But you know what it does this week? It unites you. It saves, it strengthens, and it unites. Who could complain in such a moment? When you saw the water last week, when you saw the water part, when you are staring at death from both angles, you're not happy and I'm not happy. We are stressed out of our mind. I got an issue, and this is not going to end well and you see the waters part, and you are walking on dry land, you're like in an invisible aquarium. You saw the hail, and you saw the flies, and you saw it all, but man, you're like face to face with a fish. You think they could have touched it? Wouldn't that have been trippy? You think they could have just been like, oh my goodness. You think they had water on their hand? They were amazed. You know why? Because they've already told themselves, I'm dying. You ever been told you're dying and live? Any of you? Like who could complain in such a moment? They were amazed. All the bickering and foolishness and ignorance and fighting and drama, it ceased. They were fueled to walk on. Something else I think is amazing, talk about closure. They physically witnessed the demise of their enemy. Look at the verses in 30 through 31. 14. So they walk, they touch the water. God provided a way, they were dead. They said their goodbyes to their kids and they're on the other side. And what do they physically witness? So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw. Will you highlight that? Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. These people were slaves, staring at those who enslaved them. Who could fight in that moment? Like, who could fuss? What do you got? Like, these were the people who beat them, who starved them, who spat on them, who worked them to death, who disrespected them, They're the women, the men, the children. And now you're physically seeing Pharaoh himself on the seashore dead. Can you imagine how overwhelmed you must have been to see the enemy dead? What is there to fight about? Who could fight? And now all of a sudden conflict And a lot of it turns to singing. And what do the people sing? I love this. I sent this out to our praise team on Monday. I said, I want you to look at these words. What are they singing? They're singing what is true to them. The words that we sing up here is not just because the rhythm is good. It's truths that we're singing. Things that we believe, things that we profess, things that stir our affections. So what do they sing, church? I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. You know why they sang that? Because they lived that. The horse and its rider, he is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He is my song and he has become, he wasn't. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also in the drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. This is what they saw, church. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose up against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with your blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood up upright like a heap in the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. These are the same people that were angry. They were turning on Moses. They were fighting each other. They were bickering. I wish I was back a slave. And what do they say in nine and 10? The enemy said, I will pursue and I will overtake. I will divide and I will spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you? Will you highlight that? Who is like you? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise is doing wonders? Who is like you? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. If you're a note taker, 
there is nothing that unites God's people greater than salvation. There is nothing that unites the angry mob and the hurt marriage and the broken friendship like a fixation on salvation. It's the only thing that works. I remember being a lost man, young man, many years ago when Passion of the Christ came out. Do y'all remember that? Mel Gibson film. And I remember being lost, and I went to at the movie theaters. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you went to the movie theaters and saw Passion. Yeah, a few of you. And I remember a few things I'll never forget. I will never forget some of these moments, these visual moments, because it was wild. I remember it being packed. I don't know if it was opening week. I don't know the situation. But I remember there wasn't a chair to sit in. It was just completely overwhelmed and packed. And I remember, unlike any other movie, it was silent. And you remember you had to read the subtitles, right? And so like when my selfish, broken heart sat down and those first words came in, I was like, great, you know? But I didn't say it though. I thought there was a remote back there that you could change, you know? One of my kids messed it up. But you didn't hear anything. A room packed to capacity And man, you didn't hear a Twizzler pack open. You didn't hear a kid crying. You didn't hear someone snoring or going to the bathroom. It was silent. Why? Because people were overwhelmed with seeing salvation literally in front of them. Like salvation was visual for the first time in their life. And so they had read the story and like, I've read it a million times. I know what this is. I know what this story, nothing here is a shocker. I know that he dies on the cross, but can you remember all of the whips? Can you remember him crying for you? Can you remember seeing him drag the body? Can you remember that moment, seeing that in the theater? Silence. And then I remember coming out into the lobby It was just me and a buddy. But I remember as everybody kind of ushered out, I'll never forget this moment. There was these two men. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they knew each other or not. Just crying, man. These grown men, right, that don't cry. I remember them see each other across the room. They're like, (laughs) and they just started crying and hugging each other. And I thought, what is going on? Salvation was visual. Overwhelming, who could fight in a moment like that? How crazy would it have been for someone to walk out of the theater and go, I can't believe it. I said butter. They didn't put butter on there. They One would think that you didn't see the same movie that I saw, right? Did you witness what I witnessed? Do you see where I'm going? What are you complaining about? The Lord has protected you from the plagues. He's passed over you. You know what blows my mind? You know the people who are griping and complaining are the same people holding the hands of their children that the only reason they have them is because the Lord passed over them and you got the audacity to complain about the butter? How could someone fight in a moment like this when your eyes are fixated on salvation? 
How could a godly marriage fall? How? I think it's impossible. Now, I didn't say how does marriage fall. I said how could a godly marriage fall? How could a church split? It's almost contradictory even in how you say it. How could that even be possible? That people come in here one to two hours a week to praise and to worship and you guys are fighting about butter? Did you and I watch the same movie? How could a godly friendship die? How could a former slave complain about freedom? How is it even possible? It is simple. The reason that godly marriages and churches stay strong and godly relationships run the test of time is because you have more than one individual fixated on salvation. I am not fixated on how long this is taking. I'm not fixated on the water. I'm not fixated on the chariots. I am fixated on God's salvation. So yeah, I can show you forgiveness. I can show you grace. I can show you mercy. Why? Because I'm fixated on what's been given to me. Our movies, because you you and I weren't in Exodus. The movie that you and I watched, our reality, Romans 3.24, for we are justified by his grace as a gift. That we were enemies of God and now we're his children? We hung his son on a cross, spat on the ground, skewed up the garden, invite sin into our life, and now we're children of the king? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every relationship in your life is dependent in its survival for a fixation on the gospel and salvation. The gospel saves, the gospel strengthens, and the gospel unites. Plus one, every relationship in your life, and we always read this, 10 ways to please my man, and we go to conferences to figure out marriage and parenting, and we listen to blogs and ask podcasts and all of these things. How do I figure out motherhood, and how do I figure out being a husband, and and all of these things I got to do, all of these relational things that I struggle with, relationships with one another, for survival is dependent more than anything else with a fixation on, on salvation. If not, you will crush anything you touch. You are not cute enough, rich enough, funny enough to make anything survive without the gospel being the lens in which you look through. So marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Let me give you a secret. The answer is only on one page, and it's only on half of them. Marriage requires two former slaves, now both free, fixated on salvation. He has carried my cross. 
I am a child of the King. I am restored and rescued by grace and mercy. Yes, I can show her grace. Yes, I can show her forgiveness. If not focused and fixated on salvation, you will hurt anything you touch. You will become united, ununited. I would rather be sick, poor, and dying, but united in Christ with Wendy than rich, young, and healthy living with the world for her. Because at some point, me and that bride of mine are gonna face water and have chariots coming, and you better have something more than, I think she's cute. I think she's funny. I like everybody in this church. They've always been my best friend. You better have something bigger than that because at some point we're frustrating each other. At some point you're gonna be staring at water and hearing chariots and you better be looking through something more than, are you making me happy? And when you are fixated on salvation, now forgiveness, now peace, now grace, now love is possible. Now unity is a reality, and the people sang. And the people sang. Verse 14, what did they sing? The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will hold, will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia, and then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and they plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made, for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of that sea. It is hard to not forgive when you are fixated on being forgiven. Please hear me, because someone has hurt you. Someone has done you wrong. You might be justified. It is hard not to forgive someone when you are fixated on the forgiveness that you have experienced. It's hard to. It's hard to. It's hard not to show grace when you are fixated on the grace that has been given to you. The strongest units, the strongest relationships, the strongest churches, the strongest marriages, the strongest families that I have ever encountered are the ones that are fixated on the gospel. And so we all sit in here, please hear me. We all sit in here going, hey, how can I do this better? And you have a lot of needs. This church has a lot of needs. 
My marriage has a lot of needs. Parenting has a lot of needs with one primary focus that everything should be seen through, and that is a fixation on salvation. For my mama who's stressing out parenting kids, you know what you need more than anything? It's not a work-life balance or more time. No, it is a fixation on salvation. Husbands, do you know what you need to lead well, to love well, to shepherd well, to provide well? There's a lot of needs, Hunter. Amen, there are. Primary, a fixation on salvation. That is what every relationship known to man of two or hundreds of thousands needs more than anything. It needs men and women, children, young and old, fixated on the gospel. It is hard not to forgive, not to show grace, not to show love if you are fixated on the forgiveness and the grace and the love that you've experienced. I would almost say it's impossible. What if you woke up every day experiencing the seas being parted? What if? What if? My brother Philip here is about to baptize. About to baptize. What if that was every day? Like every day we go, hey, Philip, I don't know what you're doing in the morning, but before you go into work, let's do this every morning. And we're, good news, we're all going to show up. And we're all going to applaud. And we're all going to say amen. When? Every morning. How do you think his week would look? I bet pretty awesome. I know my brother's not complaining about traffic. So why do we fight? Why do we fall? Why do we divorce? Why do we stress? Why? It's because you remove yourself from being fixated on the salvation, the gospel, which you have experienced. Those two guys that came out of the movie hugging each other and crying, I don't know who they are, but my money's on. They didn't do that every day. They did it in the midst of visually seeing what they experienced in Christ. And so why do we come to church and why do we read the Bible and why do we pray and why do we encourage one another? Why do we not give up on one another? Why? Because you remove yourself, you drift, and I grab David by the arm and I go, hey, brother, remember remember. And you know what he says to me? Oh man, praise God. Thank you. And then I drift and he grabs me by the arm. He goes, Hunter, remember. And so everybody is losing their mind and everybody is screaming. And the only hope they got is experiencing salvation. Luke six thirty six: be merciful even as your father is merciful. You know, one thing that stood out to me but man, that was really um, challenged by, to the point of tears and just encouraged. And um, I told you guys <clears throat> before that um, I love the idea of leadership. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Um, father, husband, pastor, just leader of men. I just, I love it. I love that idea of leading well, right? And so I started reading this <clears throat> and I just thought, man, the lenses and the fixation of salvation um, isn't just for those who are wrong, it's also for those who are right. Like, think about this for a minute, hang with me. How hard, because a lot of people think like, well, man, there was a lot of people about the size of Eastview and the death. No, 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 no. Do you know how many people were on this journey? Hundreds of thousands of people. 
You know how hard it would to like turn the mood of hundreds of thousands of people? Like there wasn't a mic or a megaphone. Like, do you know how hard it would be to go from screaming to singing for the masses? But then I thought, how hard would it be for the one? Like the one man who was right. The one who was trying to do his best. Hang with me. How hard would it be to sing with the people who have done you wrong? How would it be to sing and to fellowship arm in arm, hands raised, you're singing loud, I'm glad you're here with the people who have talked mess about you? Do you know what I think Moses heard? Don't remove yourself. What did Moses probably hear from hundreds of thousands of people? You know what I think he heard? He doesn't know where he's going. That's what I think he heard. You know what I think he heard? I could do it better. How would that make you feel? Man, I didn't even want to come. Like I had a pretty good gig and now I'm here. I'm, I'm helping you. You got your kids. I'm taking you out of slavery and you're going to disrespect me? And you can go sing on your own. How hard would it be to be the one? You know what I think he heard? The old man is lost. Send him back to shepherding. He's going to get us killed. You know what I think he heard? Incompetent. How hard would it be to sing with those who hurt you when you're right? What about his wife? I know my wife. I didn't know Moses' wife, but I know Wendy. There's been times in frustration in and outside the church where I go, hey, you know what, babe? You know, this person said da 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 And I look at her and she's like, they said what about my husband? And I'm like, oh man, oh, you're madder than I am, right? Like my wife's gonna show up on your door, not me. And that's not good news. I wonder if Moses' wife was ever like, you know what, Moses? I think you're right. Like, like if they think they can do it on their own because they were obviously doing so good without you, let's go back. What about the burned out children? What about the wife who's been abused? Or the children that had the dad always gone? Or the friend who's been talked bad about? Like, how hard would it be to sing if you're right? But we have this mo- moment where not only the masses are singing, but also the one. Also the one. You know why? You know how you go from one to the other? When your heart goes, you know what? I didn't even want to be here. You focus on the one who did want to be here. You think I'm here for the money? You think I want to stay in this jacked up marriage? Like, I don't even want to be here. You focus on your eyes on the one who chose to be here and wanted to be here. It is hard not to sing when you are fixated on the one who loves singing. Only when we are fixated on Christ 
unity is possible. Relational unity is not dependent on who's right or who's wrong or on circumstances. Relational unity is dependent on all parties being fixated on salvation that is greater than pain, that is greater than hurt, that is greater than fear, that is greater than differences. I will love my wife in light of salvation. I will love my children in the light of salvation. I will love my neighbor in the light of salvation. I will love my church in the light of salvation. How we close here, I told you to flip. I want you to see what our eyes are called to be fixated on. Look at Luke 23. This is how we close. I need you to see it though. So kiddos, we can press pause. I need you to see this, please. In all of your hurt and all of your pain and all of your disgruntledness and all of your frustration and ignorance and all of your pain and brokenness and all of your screaming, right? This is what we're called to be fixated on. Look at Luke 23, starting with verses 26. Now, as they led him away, they laid a hold of him, a certain man, Simon, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and the women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children." For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, they will will be done in the dry. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, There they crucified him and the criminals on the right hand and on the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, highlight it. It is hard not to forgive. It is hard not to show grace. It is hard not to show love when you are fixated on Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. They mocked him. And one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? So, man, this didn't hit me just till this right this second. I have studied like. 20-something hours here, and this didn't just hit me until right this second. Like, even the thief that could has everything to complain about, like, man, I'm about to die. I'm here. No one's here with me. I am alone. I am wrong. I have 
fear and frustration and confusion, but he is seeing Jesus. Like he is seeing salvation and he is fixated on it. So where does his heart and his mind and his words go to? The same in which he's experienced. Man, and this man's dying. What is there to fight about? What is there to fuss over? Even the man who hangs on a cross has nothing but grace and love and forgiveness to speak of. It says, and we deed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me, when I, come into your, when I come into your kingdom, highlight 43. And Jesus said to him, Surely I will say to you today, Surely I will say to you today that you will be with me in paradise. So as we close here, I was imagining, I was imagining, you're, you know when your home is disgruntled? You're like, man, my home is, like, she's angry, he's angry, my kids are just kind of like, this is not working, this is not good. You know how heavy that is? You know when your friend groups, church, whatever, oh man, they're not happy, they're not happy, they're not happy. Can you imagine the sound of hundreds of thousands of disgruntled people. Can you imagine the sound of hundreds of thousands of people screaming? Now imagine hundreds of thousands of people singing. I take a second. I wonder how many miles away they could have heard them. You ever heard a hundred thousand people sing? Like I was singing here just a second ago with the praise team. I was like, man, this sounds so loud and so great. This is 300. Can you imagine 700,000 people singing? And they weren't just singing. They were on a high. We didn't have the guy on the third row just sitting there staring at the guy singing. No, no, no. They had just been saved. They had just walked on dry land in the midst of water. They were singing loud. Can you imagine? I think miles away. I think Jackson heard them. Because what was there to fight about? As we close... Every relationship that you are a part of is dependent on a fixation on salvation. If not, it will not survive. This church, your marriage, your family, your friends, it will all perish. Because at some point, man will fuss about butter. It is in our nature. Fixate your eyes on salvation. Bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for how the word blessed 
me so much this week. Um, this was a chapter on leadership. And this was a chapter on being faithful. And this was a chapter about being trust, trusting and obedient and loving and being a mirror of your good nature. Lord, when my eyes are fixated on you, I am a better version of me. I am a selfish, broken, prideful, arrogant, mean, hurtful individuals when I am focused on me. Lord, I pray that I look at my children, my wife, this church, my friends through the lenses of salvation. And that is the only hope they have. It is hard not to love when you are fixated on love. Lord, let our people not be so ignorant and prideful to not take these words as truth. Save the lost and restore the broken and encourage the faithful. In your precious and holy name, the church says in harmony, amen.